0: Alright, full disclosure this week, this episode is about swearing, so there will be a lot of swearing in it. I think that goes without saying, but I thought I'd just give you guys a little heads up as you head into this episode. Cover your ears if you are sensitive to the words, and don't listen to this around your kids. Okay, enjoy! Enjoy! Hello and welcome once again to the How to Stop podcast. This week we have a very interesting topic and that is how to stop swearing. I'm sure most of you are thinking, is this going to be a bunch of nacing, a little finger pointing, just a little bit of judgment? No, it fucking isn't. I actually spent a lot of time researching swearing, the science behind it, the psychological impact of swearing the historical background of swearing and it is incredibly interesting and so much fun to read about so i thought i would share all of that information with you if you still want to stop swearing at the end of it so be it and i'll tell you how first the curse words themselves now they vary from person to person for example i've heard many people say that the word moist bothers them And there are other words, for example, we are lovers. Oh, that word bums me out unless it's between the words meat and pizza. Now, obviously, these words aren't a problem for everybody, but there are 10 words that are, and they have been the same words consistently used since 1986 when they started studying it. And those words are fuck, shit, hell, damn, goddamn, Jesus Christ, ass, Oh my God, bitch, and sucks. The most surprising on that list was sucks because everybody says that, so I didn't really think of it as a curse word per se, but there it is in scientific studies. So now that we know the words, let's talk about how they're used. There are different types of swearing, five in fact. So the first type of the five is dysphemistic swearing. Dysphemistic swearing is the opposite of euphemistic swearing. Euphemistic swearing is taking out a bad word and replacing it with a good word. Like for example, gosh darn and oh my goodness. Now, dysphemistic swearing is saying the actual word but saying it a little worse. Like instead of calling someone a jerk, you call them an asshole. And the goal here is to Make it more impactful and get the attention of the person you're speaking to. Then there's abusive swearing. Abusive swearing is using poetic devices, metaphors, imagery, and comparative, like comparing someone to an animal, for example, in order to get a rise out of them, to make them angry. You're trying to offend them. You're trying to attack them with your words. Then there's idiomatic swearing, swearing that uses an expression like keep an eye out or the ball's in your court, something like that, only using swearing, but it's not meant to be intentionally offensive, it's just sort of phrasing. And then there's emphatic swearing, like instead of saying, is that your mess over there? Instead saying, is that your fucking mess over there? You can tell just in the use of the word, not only am I compelled to be a little more aggressive, but you are hearing it more aggressively Um, and the last is cathartic swearing now cathartic swearing is something that's been debated over time because when I read a few studies in 2006 they said that cathartic swearing just wasn't provable in 2011 Richard Stevens of Keele University in England measured how long 67 college students could keep their hands submerged in water now He split them into groups and he told one group that they could use obscenities while sticking their hands in the water and he told the other group that they could not. The group that was using obscenities and cursing throughout the process not only lasted 40 seconds longer in the ice water but reported less pain at the end of it. So that was a very important study because it proved that cursing actually does have an impact on the way our brain is processing pain. Or any kind of internal struggle so cursing actually does relieve our stress now there is a theory called the rage circuit theory a lot of people believe that you sort of boil over and you just sort of scream curse words and and people do get to that point when they're provoked or when they just get really stressed out they curse and that's the cathartic swearing but the rage circuit theory is a response the theory is that as animals when we were attacked or startled or hurt in some way we would respond with a yelp or a scream or something that we perceived as aggressive as a reflex to scare off our attacker or at least to startle them since then there's been some discussion as to whether um, cursing because we've developed the power of verbal language um, if cursing is a reflex or a response and the general consensus seems to be that it's a response because we tend to control it so when you stub your toe you could be aware of the room and say okay it's filled with nuns i'm probably not going to say damn it or holy shit, that hurts so bad you're probably going to say oh that really hurt and you'll be in more pain as we've seen from that previously mentioned study but you'll have spared the nuns the bad words Now, this is the best part. After we learn the science behind swearing and understanding what swearing is, like we really need a lesson in that, um, I wanted to share with you the etymology of the swear words that we use most often. Etymology is the study of words and their origins. All right, here we go. The first word is ass. Now, ass was not initially, obviously, a term for your butt or somebody who is obnoxious. It was originally a nautical term, and it meant the back of the boat. And then around the 1930s, it started to be used to refer to someone's ass or someone as an ass. Our next word, shit. It has always meant shit. It's always meant poop, and it probably always will. I can't say that with any certainty. But the likelihood that it will continue to mean poop is pretty good considering it always has this one i found really interesting the word piss so initially it was the french word for penis and then it evolved to be used as as a term for being piss proud which was morning wood so being pissed off it sounds a little wonky when you put it that way and the word dick in the 1500s in england dick was the most well not dick but richard was the most common name and so it was sort of synonymous with like buddy or fellow or lad things like that it was like hey Richard how you doing but like everyone was Richard it's like our our average dough here in America and then the British army got a hold of it and turned it into a term for a penis <laughs> leave it to the army <laughs> just kidding guys the next one is the hardest to say but the most interesting background and that is the word cunt It's a bad word, I feel horrible saying it, my apologies everyone, but there's no definitive origin, they can't figure out exactly where it came from, there's no consensus, but in 1230 England, there was the first use of the word as we understand it now, for Grope Cunt Lane, which was a street devoted entirely to prostitutes and prostitution. So if you were to go out for the evening, say, honey, I'll be back. I'm heading over to Gropkunt Lang. I'll see you later. I will probably have syphilis. The next one is slut. It's a German word for an untidy or idle woman. Not loving the fact that I qualify for that definition from time to time. And our favorite, fuck. This one has numerous origins, all sort of in the... Swedish German I mean you can kind of find root words everywhere in the European area my favorite and you can find it as early as 700 AD so it's an old word and it hasn't always meant what we understand it to be now initially it was to hit or plow so it kind of actually did always mean the same thing but not used the same way Um, but I did find this reference to a an attack on the Carmelite friars and they were writing a coded poem to plan for the attack and they insulted them by saying they are not in heaven because they fuck the wives of Ely. So those are our words and those are their origins I would have mentioned bitch but I think we all know which one that is and where it comes from it comes from dogs and then eventually it just became yippie women which I don't appreciate but whatever we we've all been kind of a bitch from time to time we know our words we know their history we know their psychology and use let's talk about who's using them you will be shocked to find that everyone uses them and you'll be further shocked to find that teenagers use them the most really teenagers who would have thought Um, of the quote-unquote everyone that is involved in all of this cursing type A people are far more likely to swear because Of their natural aggressive tendencies i am a type a person and i can tell you i have a little bit of a potty mouth men curse more often uh they tend to dominate 67 percent of the cursing in a public forum and women when they curse their more common curse word is oh my god which shouldn't surprise anyone because i think anyone listening to a female conversation is going to hear oh my god several times the least likely to offend are, and this group was specifically named, Mormons and the sexually repressed. Now, full disclosure, I'm a Mormon. I don't think that the sexual repression and the Mormonism are related when it comes to the swearing. I think we're just a really respectful people. We don't want to hear the bad words, and we don't want other people to have to hear them either. I think it's an act of kindness, but I might be biased on that one. A lot of people assume incorrectly that being somebody who swears implies that you don't have as advanced a vocabulary or as broad a vocabulary as people who don't. And there was a study done at Marist College and the Massachusetts College of Liberal Arts where they did a controlled word association test where they had people name as many words as they could that start with F, A, and S and the number of the words that they were able to name in this time frame was their fluency score then they had them name as many swear words as they could in a certain time frame and that was their taboo word fluency score the surprising thing was that the scores correlated so the more words that they knew in general the more words that they knew that were inappropriate or quote unquote taboo so all of you who are potty mouths it's probably a good sign that you have a great and vast vocabulary. Good for you, and you can tell people that when they tell you that you sound stupid. You probably do, but you're not, and you know. On the flip side of the swearing, because I think most people have a very negative association with swearing for obvious reasons, two-thirds of the time we use it, it's in aggression or frustration, anger. The remaining third is to our benefit. We've already discussed the fact that it's cathartic. We can use it to relieve pain. We can use it to just let out our frustration. But we can also use it in bonding. I came across a really interesting group of quotes, but I'm only going to share one. And here's that quote. In every culture, there are taboo words. And when you use them, you're able to interrupt the noise in people's heads. He understands something about our language and our use of profanity but he's using it to their benefit. If you've ever seen anything that Tony Robbins has done, he is a vulgar man. Now, not in a bad way. He uses these curse words admittedly to wake people up, to shake them out of whatever funk and mental cloud they are in and make them pay attention. This brings us to the Stroop Test. The Stroop Test is where they show you a list of words and the words are names of colors and then corresponding colors on the names. so a green the word green is green the word blue is blue and so on and so forth first they have you name what color the word is then they switch up the names and colors so blue is now red and so on and so forth and they have you name the color even though the word is different they did the same study with curse words and there was a significant delay in response both with switching up the colors and switching up the words to curse words and then having to name what color it was and it's because the words impact us they light up our amygdala which controls memory emotion and our sort of response to a threat it overtakes our right hemisphere which also deals with negative emotions so it it shakes us. Now Tony Robbins is doing it for good but that's not the only way you can use it. Another way is when you're talking with friends. When you curse in front of them, as crazy as this sounds, it offers them intimacy. They see you as willing to let down your guard, be vulnerable, and be a little imperfect in front of them. So it's used in group scenarios to create bonding experiences. Something we never think about when we, but when we're joking around with our friends and and we throw out a few f-bombs and a few a few shits, you know, we don't realize that we're creating a bond because we're sort of laughing at each other's imperfections. How beautiful is that? Cursing is good for you. Both socially and mentally. Now you see why I said, if you really wanted to quit by the end, you absolutely could. Now, one last thing I wanted to discuss that I just plain found interesting about cursing was how curse words are similar. If you notice, the main curse words start with a consonant and a hard sound, and they end with a hard sound like shit, fuck, damn. They're all very intensely pronounced words. And we see proof of that in some made-up languages. For example, there's Battlestar Galactica that uses the word frack. It has a very powerful sound to it. Um, In Farscape, which I've never seen, they use the word frel. Mork and Mindy, Shazbot. You can correct me if you'd like. I am not pronouncing these well, and I know that. They are not pronounced correctly. Um, Game of Thrones uses Govac and I'm not sure I'm saying those either, but if you notice, all of these are usually monosyllabic. If you think about our curse words that we have in our vocabulary, they're monosyllabic and they have a hard front and a hard back. It's not just coincidental that these creations of curse words are very similar to the curse words that we use in our our language. Um, Now here's the part where I tell you how to stop. But what's more, see if you really even want to. (laughs) Um, The problem with using curse words is you have to consider your audience. Where are you when you're using them? I work in a restaurant. In that restaurant, it's like a sea of sailor mouths. Everyone's using the F-bomb all night long. It doesn't bother me because I'm so used to it. And that's not a unique experience. The more you curse, the less impact it has in being cathartic and the more you hear it, the less impact it has on you. So the argument could be made that if we used curse words willy-nilly that eventually we'd all become desensitized to them. But if we all use them willy-nilly, we become desensitized to them. They lose their power. And words have power. Have you ever said something like, well, it can't get any worse, and then immediately looked for some kind of wooden object to knock on? Our words have power, even if it's perceived power. And that's why cursing can be, to our detriment, and the detriment of others. It's not necessarily ethical to force these bad feelings on other people. It's the verbal equivalent of smacking someone because their brain has an autonomic response to it. So when you say, fuck this, fuck that, to somebody who's not used to hearing it, or not comfortable with it, it hurts them. And there's nothing they can do about it. My recommendation for you is if you do use curse words, use them for good and not for evil. Use them for those bonding experiences when appropriate. Don't use them in front of your grandmother unless she's one of those cool grandmas that curses well into her 90s. In that case, that's a bonding experience. But... Try to be aware of the people around you, because just because you're comfortable with it doesn't make it okay to inflict on others. And that goes with everything. I know you're thinking, I have the right to say whatever I want, and believe me, the Supreme Court has been dealing with that same issue for a long time. But our ultimate goal is kindness, and our ultimate goal is to be better people. And better people are considerate of others. Is it more important for you to say the curse word at the expense of somebody else? Probably not, unless you've injured yourself and you're relieving pain, and they'll probably forgive you because they've probably done the same thing. So how do you stop swearing? That's a good question. There was a study done that measured the impact on the brain of euphemisms in place of curse words, and it is the Diet Coke of cursing. similar but not quite right so you can take the step of finding your curse words and replacing them with euphemisms like darn it or gosh or f just saying f for example it's not going to have the same cathartic impact that saying the full word would but it can start to transition your brain into not using those words so often so when you do actually use them they're much more effective so it's a win-win there Then when you say these words, notice the impact on those around you. Be very aware of your surroundings. Be very aware of how you're using them. And be aware that constant negative speech, because these words evoke negative emotions, be aware that that constant speech can have an impact on your well-being emotionally. We've all met people who are just negative all the time. And constant negative speech has that kind of impact on our well-being. So keep in mind positive speech becomes positive thought and vice versa. Keep your thoughts positive and you won't feel like you need to curse as much. And last, of course, just stop. Just stop saying them and see how your life changes. I'm not going to promise you huge life changes and and your world will shift. I I really don't think that'll happen, but I think you'll have a greater appreciation for the words that you do know. You can learn new, fun words that mean Something interesting. Dictionary.com has a word of the day. I love it. My nerd is showing. And you can use that brain space for something a little bit better. I hope you've enjoyed this journey with me. It has been super fun. Email me if you would like some of the resources that I use, some of the studies that I read. They are fascinating. And thanks again. See you next week. I just wanted to take a second to to thank Ayla Nario, who provided this song for the podcast, and I absolutely love it. Also, if you wouldn't mind rating me on iTunes, I would love it. And again, email me if you have any questions. Thanks so much. Have a good week.